Hello everyone, welcome to Talking in the Rain. My name is Saira Unju, I am your host and today I have with me folk singer, shanty man, overall musician, <laughs> Sean Dagger. Sean is based in Montreal but he is in Vancouver for a show with Corleone. He is leading both La Nef from Montreal and Vancouver's Corleone for their sea shanty show, The Return Voyage. You can catch them at the St. Andrew Wesley's United Church on February 16th and 17th and go on this 75-minute musical journey with heartfelt sea songs and shanties about adventure, longing, and life on the high seas. And keep listening to find out about this show and Sean. Enjoy. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for joining me. I would like to get started with a little introduction. So tell me about yourself, how um, you kind of started in being a shanty man <laughs> and how it's going now. Okay, well, hi, my name is Sean Dager and I do lots of different things, including uh, sing sea shanties. I've been a folk musician and folk singer for the last 30 years. That's been my main my main job. And um, I perform in different venues, and including pubs, but, you know, concerts and all different kinds of halls. And I always noticed that uh, any song that had a part for the audience to respond with was always a, a big hit. People always enjoyed those. And then sea shanties are, of course, a genre of music where the whole point is that everyone has to respond, you know, throughout the whole song. So I thought, oh, well, here's a here's a, a collection of 400 songs or so that are all guaranteed to be hits. So I started doing more and more of them. And then I, uh, you know, alongside all the other things I was doing as well. And then eventually I got hired by uh, Ubisoft to sing on the Assassin's Creed soundtrack. AC3 was the first game I did. And I, a few guys and myself... My colleague Dave Gossage hired us. I play with him a bit in the different configurations, and he hired us to come sing uh, the songs. We were in AC3. We were. Uh, it's the one that takes place in the American Revolution. So we were American soldiers. We were British soldiers. We were tavern musicians. You know, we were playing as well in the, in the tavern scenes, and uh, we were sailors for a, sort of a, a little sidebar of the game where they went off to see for. I never played the game, so I don't actually know what I'm talking about. And and interestingly, my wife also, who's a classical Baroque cellist, she got hired for that as well to do the opening scene, which takes place in a theater, and there's an orchestra playing. So that was that was my wife and all her colleagues. Anyway, so it was we were all involved in that, and then the uh, the the shanty part of the game got really popular. So Ubisoft um, decided to make the next game, Black Flag, based entirely around the sea shanties, and then Rogue is a is an, another spinoff of that. So. I ended up, you know, becoming familiar with, uh, I guess, about a hundred songs that uh, that we included in the game. I don't know the exact number, eighty-five or somewhere around there. So that was that's how I really got deep into shanties. And then when I saw how popular they were, I started doing them on my own, including, you know, I did a program with La Nef. That's the group we're coming to Vancouver with. Uh, we did a program of shanties and recorded the album, and we've been touring it as much as possible ever since. That that's amazing. So you can 
technically say that you've inspired a game. <laughs> well, the, the songs that we did inspired the game and the way we sang them seemed to work. And we were we were guided in the way we sang them by Dave Gossage and Benedict Wimet, who were sort of the producers on the site, telling us, you know, saying, no, sing it worse and no, sing it drunker. And, and uh, you know, they really it was really their idea of, of how they wanted us to perform the songs that made them so successful. I mean, yeah, we, we had to do it, but they, you know, it was a collaborative thing. That That's so fun. Before we started recording, we kind of talked about how you're traveling now and you'll be traveling a lot until basically mid-year this year. Yeah. Uh, and that you haven't really done this much traveling before, like a touring. Um, what's that been like for you for the past month, um, touring, being away from family? Yeah, it's um, well, you know, my kids like they're they're older. One of them, the older one lives in an apartment. So we see her, uh, you know, every once in a while. The younger one, she's in in college living with us. We see her once in a while, too. So it's not it's not hasn't been a big change. And uh, actually, the, the tour I'm on right now is with a group called Sky Consort and Emma Bjorling. And uh, my wife, Amanda Kiesmat, plays cello in that. So I was away for a couple of days. I did a bit of solo tour for a week here in the Northwest Territories. And now Sky Concert and Emma Bjorling is here. And we're doing a, another week of touring in the Northwest Territories. So I'm actually here with my wife, which happens a fair amount. So that's great. Yeah, perks of both being musicians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about Sky Consort? Mm. Um, because you're... well. You've mentioned Lenef as well. So you perform with, you know, a couple of different groups. Yeah. So Sky Concert is the first sort of serious project I tried to organize with um, a few colleagues. We started in 1999 and uh, we tried, we recorded an album in 2000 and we did a bunch of touring. Not a lot, but we did it around East, Eastern Canada. And that was great. And we did, we did, Oh, three, four, four albums in the first sort of six, seven years we were we were working, and then um, then took a bit of a hiatus, and and then we met up with this Swedish singer called uh, Emma Björling and Alex, the co-founder of of Sky Consort, and Amanda and Emma and I were thinking that we would like to do a new project together, and so we decided to resuscitate um the, the sky concert moniker and we put sky concert and emma bjorling which sort of fits all of the sky concert albums we've done have been sort of or most of them have been in conjunction with someone else the first one was matthew white and counter tenor and sky concert and then we did michael slattery who's an american irish tenor and um so we, we all there was a lot of sky concert and so this one was um sky concert and emma bjorling and so emma's a a really great uh Swedish singer and swinger singer of Swedish songs and tunes and uh, a teacher of, of Scandinavian folk music and she you know can sing in well English and Swedish but also you know Norwegian and Danish and uh, and she can she can wrap her mouth around French uh, pronunciations too for the song sometimes I sing songs that are in French and so so it's great working with Emma she's a real she's a, a native speaker of Scandinavian folk music, if I can put it that way. Uh, talk about French. You're based out of Montreal, right? Yes. English is my first language, mm -hmm. but um, my, my French is pretty good now. And um, so I, I sing a lot of French songs. And one of the places I played for the last 20 years or so was a, a medieval 
restaurant called L'Auberge du Dragon Rouge, the, the Red Dragon Inn. And um, it was uh, it was so fun. Just it was, we were acoustic and wandering around the tables. It was a small little place. They'd sort of cram 65 people in there and everyone would be hollering at the top of their lungs. And you have to get up there and belt out these songs over top of them. And the singing the songs and playing the tunes wasn't even the most important part. The most important part was... Uh, interacting with the crowd and ho hollering back at people when they hollered at you and you know getting people up for the birth for their birthdays to do to do stupid dances and just making it fun for everybody mainly by making it fun for yourself that was and you know we used music as part of that you know so I learned a whole bunch of old old French songs and um and same thing with the shanties you know we had the sort of the crude version of them that we sang in the tavern and uh and I also, you know, took some of them or take some of them to make sort of concert versions that are better for listening to. Yeah, I can't imagine just the, because Corleone performs in a church, right? Just <laughs> singing crude shanties in a church. What a combo. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something else. And um, well, the the first concert I did of shanties with Lanef in 2014 after the games uh, hit. Um, that was the challenge. The challenge was to find the some of the nicest melodies because there were really beautiful songs in, in those shanties that we sang in the video game, but we weren't allowed to do anything beautiful with them. I mean, every time we sort of put in some nice harmonies or whatever, the producers would say, "No, no, no, you're pirates. You don't sing harmonies." It's just you know, which I don't necessarily think is the case, but I understand what they were going for. Um, so finally, we we're doing the concert, and I was like, "Okay, now I can take this beautiful song and make." Uh, what I think is a, a beautiful rendition of it. And so, but then we also in that concert we made sure that to do some of the songs in in a in a crude and raw way, you know, un unarranged, just like this is more like it would likely have sounded. You know, I can't speak for sure, but what it would have sounded in on a nineteenth century uh, sailing ship. But I think it would have been more like this raw version. And so when I say crude, I sort of mean like uncooked rather than crude content although there is crude content as well and talking about you know performing uh and arranging harmonies uh yeah. so the return voyage the show that corleone is performing with lanef here in vancouver that is a 75 minute show which you arranged first of all that sounds insane to me because that is such a long show did you arrange it on your own and if so, what was that process like? It's a collection of songs that have been arranged over the last 10 years. So it's not it's not 75 minutes of new music for this show. So we performed with Corleone in 2020. Um, we did, I don't know how many songs with them. Maybe, maybe there are 10 or 12 songs that we did with the choir. Um, and so I did the choral arrangements for that. But a lot of that was, that was in 2020. A lot of that was based on the arrangements I had done for the concert in 2014 and which then got updated for the recording in 2016. So, you know, it was over the course of a few years that I did, I got them up to that place where they were ready in 2020 for that concert. And now um, we've done another album. We just finished another album with Lanef of, of Sea Shanties. It's called Red Sky at Night and actually it's coming out just now in time for this concert with Corleone. So there were another batch of, I don't know, 14 songs some of which I then reimagined for or, or expanded to be with the choir. So that again was work I did last year, which I had to sort of 
tweak and expand on to be ready for the choir. So it all sort of came together like that. And even that, even the, the Red Sky at Night album was based largely on songs that I had done in my video series that I did during the pandemic called uh, The Shanty of the Week. So I, you know, I did 65 weeks of, of doing a shanty every week where I would do this vocal arrangement and introduce a song and, and perform it. So that is what made the doing the work for Red Sky at Night sort of was almost all done. So yes, I've I've put together 75 minutes of music, but it's happened in, in bits and pieces over the last decade. Good to know. Okay. A perfect segue into your YouTube series, Shanty of the Week, that ended in October 2021. Um, you mentioned that you started in the pandemic. Did this uh, surge in popularity of shanties over TikTok made you want to start these series or had you already um, started them? What was the timeline like for you? Yeah, I had, start, I had started already. I uh, I started in September 2020, um, just in time for Talk Like a Pirate Day, obviously. And um, because things, you know, things shut down in March 2020, and then they were sort of opening up over the summer. And it's when they shut down again in uh, in the in September that I said, okay, I'm uh, I have to I have to do something you know and as I'm going to have time to do something so I started in September 2020 and I was on sort of week uh I don't know 19 or 20 when the 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 Wellerman became huge on TikTok so I I, I benefited from that I got a huge surge in viewers and subscribers and uh, but I, I didn't start because of the 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 wave and I didn't cause the wave it was just sort of in, incidental and then you know and then a few weeks later I did a collaboration with uh, the longest drums I, we sang a song together and uh, so when they put that out I got a, another huge surge of uh, things because their online presence is is amazing something to behold so that that was the timeline of that and then I kept it going till October because by then things were starting to open up again for real October 2021 so just over a year and uh I had to decide, am I going to, am I going to stay in my basement recording songs for the internet or am I going to go out and be a performer again? Because I didn't have the time to do both. So I decided to go out and be a performer again. Honestly, I mean, just from seeing all the comments on your last episode, it seemed like everyone, it was kind of like a bittersweet goodbye. Everyone was really happy you did the series, but also sad to see you go. But I mean, I feel like the opportunity to see it you perform live is also really exciting so I guess it's like a win <laughs> yeah you know I was so I was so moved you know the whole time I did the Shanty of the Week by the comments that people gave me on the videos it was overwhelmingly positive which isn't always the case on on YouTube videos and people were just writing in heartfelt things like oh these you know these shanties coming out on Tuesday morning really is what makes me be able to get through my week or you know that's that's an extreme comment but I got that from people you know and and uh, or you know, people saying that they really look forward to it or people saying that they actually were singing along which was the the point of it I wanted people to sing along you know, people telling me that they were doing that is what made me keep doing it. And I was I was moved by people's response to it, or at least what they were claiming was their response to it. Yeah. And talking about reaching out to people, I also saw that you posted your artist Spotify wrapped on Instagram and you had like what twenty not twenty two point eight million listeners, which is wild <laughs> does it do you ever just think about how much 
how many people that is. Yeah, I know. I mean, most of the like probably 90% of the the stuff that people listen to that has my name on it is uh stuff on Assassin's Creed because they, you know, Ubisoft put all those songs out on Spotify. So I, you know, I understand that it's because of that. But it's still it's I still uh yes, I, I am struck by the the fact that oh, a lot of people a lot of people are listening to it. You know, there are a lot of pretty famous people out there which with that have long standing careers that have about the same number of views and it's uh, it's impressive. I I'm I'm impressed that people that people that many people listen to it. I'm not, it's not something that I expect. You know, I'm a folk singer. I do like this niche thing. I've never I mean, I've always tried to have a career, but I I didn't I wasn't trying to have a mainstream career or t- trying to I wasn't I was never trying to reach the masses, it seems. Yeah, I mean, honestly, everyone has their own niche and everyone has what they like. And I mean, even with like sea shanties that really rose to popularity during lockdown, I've know people who like were hardcore shanty listeners before then, and their Spotify Wrapped was just different shanty artists. And yeah, you really find your own people <laughs> through yeah, music. Yeah. I was in, I was impressed. Well, the first time that I was impressed is like you know when Assassin's Creed and especially Black Flag came out, that people who you know weren't for folk music fans people who were i guess coming from the video game world were enjoying this music which we were doing in a pretty pretty unpopular kind of way you know we we're just sort of doing it bare bones with voices we weren't tarting it up at all and people people came to that and people that i didn't expect to uh to enjoy it did and that was the that was i was surprised you know so then this, in 2021 when it came around again and people started freaking out about shanties i wasn't surprised i was like yeah this happens people people are people are moved by this stuff yeah and what drew you to shanties um it was the connection with the, the audience you know uh, when we're playing a song and people get to participate in the song by hollering that's always been the the best part of any performance for me and even from when i was first starting I was saying to my band and I was with at the time, I was like, guys, imagine we could sing this song. It was uh, South Australia I was talking about. I was like, imagine we could sing this song and the audience would sing the responses and we wouldn't have to, right? They would just be like, we could let the audience sing it. And they were like, my, they didn't quite understand. I probably didn't express it. And it's not, it's not even a big thing to express, but you know, that was in 1995 or something. And I was first, first performing. And I was like, I want to do a thing where the audience is part of the show, an important part of the show. And, and so that's what I'm doing now. And I'm I'm really happy that, that when I'm, I get to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. And with Corleone's show, are there going to be any parts where you encourage the audience to participate as well? Um. Well, first of all, all of it. Um, <laughs> like it's, I'm going to, you know, I, I don't imagine people will sing all the way through, but there are a couple songs that we've really designated to be the songs, you know, to, for singing with the audience and, um, you know, where I'm going to take a moment to actually teach them the, the crew responses so that they can really be up to speed on it. So, yeah, we designed the program. Eric Light, the director of Corleone, really asked for that in the program. And so the, there's going to be at least one moment where we, we teach them. And I'm going to look through the repertoire, too, and, and make see if I can find another one where it's worth taking a moment to teach them, the audience the responses and inviting them to sing with us. I mean, I imagine if they're coming to the show, partly they want to sing along, but partly they want to hear the, the choir sing, not their noisy neighbors. So we've got to balance that a little bit. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the Corleone show. Lanef has performed with 
Corleone before. It was right before lockdown, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so how did the second collaboration come about? Has this been in the works for a while? And what are you most excited about when it comes to this uh, performance? Yeah, the last concert was right before lockdown and like two two weeks or something before the lockdown. And um, so Corleone started putting their concerts online, you know, as events in the following season. So this was one of the shows they had put online. And then we we worked on it more because we'd recorded it and we'd filmed it. And then we um, then we made it into a live album. So we've basically been working with them steadily for the last oh it's four years now so we've been basically working with them that whole time and then we've been out west once i guess we went out west in 2022 uh Lenef did to play with the victoria symphony and we were trying to make it work to go to, go, to stop in vancouver and do something with corleone then and it didn't work out so now it's finally worked out for for this for this season the 23-24 season so it was, you know, just a desire on everyone's part to do that again. And for us, what doing that again means is, you know, singing with 60 guys, you know, backing us up and and giving it their all and really getting, allowing us to sort of melt into their sound a little bit. And um, it's not an experience that we, that I will get to do often in my life, you know, so I'm I'm really looking forward to being back with him. And you know, Eric Light, the director, is um, he's such a dynamic guy. He's a, a great musician, a great singer, and a, a great director. And, and to see the way those guys follow him is 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 really really remarkable. The way we were placed on stage, Eric was in the middle, and I was sort of on his right. If you look from the the audience, and the our bass player Bill Gossage was on his left, and the three of us we're sort of in a line, even though Eric was facing backwards. And we were kind of like a rhythm section together. You know, Eric was in between me. I was playing bazooki and the bass. So that's the, the crux of the rhythm in this music. And and he was being with us in directing the choir. And the, the choir follows him like to the nanosecond. They don't, they're, it's incredible the, the way they communicate with each other. So that, you know, the bass player and I, uh, Bill Gossett, we, we, we still talk about that, how cool that was to be in that clump with him you know and uh, the three of us together and and uh we were sort of driving our forces and he's driving his forces you know so it was it was great so i, I hope that uh hope that it's something like that again you know i don't know what that, the stage that it's going to be but i hope that it's like that yeah and even in the this is an aside but we you know we went out to a pub after the show uh the whole band and a good number of the choir i don't know how many of them and they started they started singing goofy songs in the pub and which was hilarious it was fun but eventually of course eric you know stands up on it well I, I say stands up on a chair he wasn't really but in this story he stands up on a chair you know and he starts conducting and the whole the whole pub is filled with choir people and and for, so from from every corner you know everyone's sort of looking around around posts and other people trying to get a glimpse of eric because they just have to sing with him they can't sing any other way <laughs> it was um it, it was remarkable and it was it was a really fun experience i love that so much i am gonna stick around after the show and see which pub you're going into <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a a great and a very unique experience i love it was, that so much it was yeah. also i mean we were the audience the us lenf people we were the, we were the audience for that right? there was nobody else in the bar but and we had a, a great time yeah sounds like conducting is like second nature to eric at this point <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot about his uh, his career path. You'd have to talk to him about that. But he's uh, yeah. he he's he's great. He he and actually he did one of the arrangements uh, for one of the songs on the first show. He you know because he have his experience with uh, men's choir that I didn't have. You know, so I sent him sending them all the arrangements, and he was saying, "Oh yes, I like this one. Oh yes, I like this one. Okay, this is good." And then I sent him this one. He said, "He said, you know what." my guys because i had basically just given his his saying here the choir can do what my guys are doing already you know so he looked at it and he said well they could he said but that's not going to be what's most efficient what's or most effective what's going to be most effective is i write if i write this other thing and my guys will do this well your guys do that and i, I said yeah of, of course go ahead you know and uh so and it was beautiful it was really beautiful in fact one of the <laughs> One of my singers came up to me afterward and said, Sean, what you did for that song was that's the most beautiful arrangement I've ever heard you do. And I said, well, I didn't do it. Eric did. And maybe that's why. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so anyway, no, no, I really uh, I'm looking forward to working with Eric again. Nice. Yeah, it should be exciting. I mean, I'll be honest, anyone I talk to who perform in collaboration with Corleone, they always seem to have a really good experience. So I'm sure this one again for you will be good as well exactly also like sea shanties they're so fun and you captured their like spirit so well when you were talking about them i just like the fact that you are performing sea shanties just you have an advantage (laughs) in the fun department (laughs) absolutely absolutely i mean and it's I, i choose music like that i choose music that's easy for people to like you know all the all the time and people say oh it's not fair with your music that you know it's easy for you to get to audiences I'm like yeah well I chose that's why I chose it you know but I, I understand there are other other things that need to be brought to audiences other than what's easy for them well, that's not my job my job is this <laughs> your job is to have fun <laughs> yeah. I love that and so talk about performing with you know uh like a 60-man choir and you mentioned um, Lenef, Sky Consort, and you also perform uh, yourself as well without a group. First of all, do you have a preference? And secondly, what are like some major differences you see in performing alone versus with other people? So I don't have a preference. Um, I'm glad that I do all of those different things, you know, and I also still play in Irish pubs two nights a week when I'm at home. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm really glad that I do all. I wouldn't want to do any one of those things full time. You know, I, I think that's what makes me enjoy each one is that I can say, oh, well, what's best about this is whatever. And what's best about that is that. And, you know, yes, there are, I don't want to say drawbacks, but, you know, things that aren't the advantage of doing one or the other. But you don't have to worry about that because the next day you're going to be doing something different. And so you can just focus on what's good about what you're doing that day. That's what, one thing that makes me really love you know, all the aspects of my job. Because yeah, I also do, you know, arranging and and uh, composing and recording for, for other projects too. And there again, it's other, it's that's that's something else. And each thing has its own advantages. In terms of specifically performing alone or with different ensembles, uh, it's extremely different. Um, when you're, well, the, like the nuts and bolts of performing, when you're with a bigger ensemble, you generally have to, you know, set it out beforehand. Okay, it, this is what it's going to be like. We're going to play this note, then that note, then, and and nothing can be left to chance because you can't have 70 people improvising together, you know? So, I mean, there, you know, there are ways you could organize that, but generally there has to be lots of planning. 
And then playing with a much smaller ensemble, like in the, you know, in the pub where I play with the same bass player I was talking about, Bill Gossage, and his brother Dave Gossage, who originally hired us for uh, uh, Assassin's Creed, who's in this Lenef project as well. Well, the, the three of us can, we can sort of take things in any direction without too much bother, you know, I'm, so that's, that's pretty freeing, but yet I'm still supported by these two monster musicians and, or, or them by me, depending on who's taken the lead at any given moment, you know? Um, so that's, that's a pretty good compromise of like autonomy, like freedom to do what you want, but, you know, still being a, a bunch of you together. And then playing solo um, is the other extreme. You can really do whatever you want. And I do, uh, you know, I decide in the middle of a song that, oh, this this verse, I should just do it a cappella. I shouldn't play, I shouldn't play my instrument in this verse because I need to establish a different kind of energy here. And so it's it just, the, the arrangement sort of evolves as the song progresses, you know, and uh, say, mm, I've, I feel like I've, I've heard my voice a lot for the last, you know, minute. Maybe I'll, I'll just take an instrumental break here and play. So you can just do what it, what feels right in the moment. So that's the music part. And then in terms of connection with the audience, um, solo gigs, and I've done a, a bunch of solo gigs over the years, a lot. And I feel a much stronger connection with the audience when I'm not looking sideways to colleagues on stage. You know, I love communing with my colleagues when I'm playing with any, and that's important. But, you know, you know, when you do that, you leave out the audience a little bit of your communication. When I'm playing solo, I'm only looking at the audience. I'm looking for people in the audience that, that are with me. And you get back more from the audience when you are open with them like that. Uh, you know, want me playing solo is much less impressive than any sort of ensemble. But yet people are just as connected to, to, to what's going on on the stage. And... So I, I really have always liked that aspect of playing solo. And then specifically when I'm doing shanty solo, getting the audience to sing with you is, is magic. When you're alone on stage and you, it, it, it could fall flat, you know, you could get up there and say like, okay, everybody, let's sing a song. And everyone goes, and that, that can happen every single song, right? You know, and it has happened to me, right? So, and I'm like, oh, they're not. So then what do you do? Do I, okay, do you keep going? Sometimes I stop the song and like say, what's wrong with you people? Didn't I teach you the song? Like smarten up. Do I have to teach you again? Like, or sometimes I cut the song short and move on to the next song, you know, or but, uh, but when it works, it's, uh, it's, it's the, one of the best uh, sort of collaborative feelings you can have. I feel like there must be a difference for, per in pubs specifically, performing to like a, Tuesday audience versus a drunk Friday audience. Um, Tuesday can be more listening, -y, uh, but you know the weekends can be. You can be listening crowds on the weekends too, and you can get drunken crowds on the on the Tuesday. And I, I I like both. I like I like both. You know, if it's like as long as you can, as long as the people you're with on stage are are able to be on the same page about how we're going to address this crowd. Are we going to like just treat them like a listening audience or are we going to force them into a into being a dancing audience or if there's a dancing yelling crowd are we going to try and force them to listen to us or are we just going to like rile up the party as long as everyone on stage is because both can work you can you can calm listen a drunken audience down and say hey folks listen we're going to sing to you and you know you can do that if you want but as long as everyone on stage is on the same page about what the approach is going to be tonight then uh 
then any situation can work well. That makes sense. And in Montreal, the the pubs you perform at, do you tend to perform at the same ones or yeah. does it change? I Over the years, I've performed at all the sort of Irish pubby pubs. And, um, but now I play just at this one called Hurley's uh, on Crescent Street downtown, which is one of the sort of main institutions of that kind of music. And, you know, they have the Irish society brunches and balls and stuff like that. So they're, they're entrenched in that, in that community of, and not just Irish, but, you know, sort of pub culture. Uh, they have music seven nights a week. And uh, on the weekends, it's on two floors, you know, like two bands on the weekends. And so they really do a lot for the, the whole music community and um, this, you know, specifically the folk music and Celtic music, but all, all music. So that's where I play mostly now. I, I I only do two nights a week, which is great. I used to do up to, you know, five, six nights a week and that was too much. So I'm really happy with, uh, with, with where I am in that now. I was going to ask, you've been a musician for a while now. You've been doing it professionally. And I'm assuming you also, you know, enjoy music aside from your profession as well. And you know how like music, whether it be like a specific song or a specific artist, they hold so much memories and emotions. Well, I guess I have two questions. One of them is, do you, are, are there any like songs you perform that hold uh, like very specific memories and emotions for you that you remember every time you perform? And then I'll get to my second question afterwards. <laughs> there are a couple of songs that have lines in them that I don't, well, when I'm singing a song, you know, if I sing the same song twice a week for 25 years, I don't listen to the words every time I sing it. You know, sometimes it just comes out and then sometimes I'm busy, you know, communicating with my audience or I'm sorry, with my bandmates or with someone in the audience. Sometimes, you know, but there are a few songs that have lines in them that hit me sometimes, you know, and one of them is The Field Behind the Plow by Stan Rogers. You know, there's a it's just some heartbreaking stuff in there. And um there's another Irish song called uh, Cavan Girl. And anyway, they 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 have some lines in there that, that always get to me. And I, it, it doesn't bring back memories, but I'm sometimes I'm I listened, I listen to what the songwriter is saying through me. And sometimes it really hits me hard, you know. I'm like, oh geez, geez, oh man, that's tough, you know. Or uh uh another one that I sing sometimes is um Okay, most of the songs I sing are, are, are traditional, but I happen to be mentioned three that have known composers here. Uh, but I sometimes do um, a song by Tom Waits called I Hope I Don't Fall In Love With You. It's just great poetry. And, uh, you know, it's probably half the time I sing it, I finish the song for Clem, you know, just like, uh. And actually, that happened to me one time with another song, a song by the Pogues called Thousands Are Sailing about uh, the, the mass sort of immigration from well, from Ireland, specifically in the song to New York, on the coffin ships, you know, where, the, where the, most of the people died, or I don't know the numbers, but a lot of people on the boats died on the way over coffin ships. And uh, so colleague and I were playing, doing musical interludes for a book reading, and the book happened to, to take place on one of these ships, and it was addressing the issue of of the people, you know, the young people um, dying of, of cholera on the ships, you know, and... Uh, so as as the woman's reading this really sad passage, I you know I lean over to my colleague and I say, "Hey, let's do let's you know we, that we, this that goes perfectly with this song. Thousands are sailing." 
and I tell you, it started and and I, I don't I don't cry a lot, but when when I started singing the song and I just started bawling. I couldn't I I couldn't stop the song. The thing it it was I think the thing was being recorded or whatever, but I was just like it took me half of the song to get it together where I could actually sing, you know. It was like super moving because I I that time I really listened to the words I was saying, you know, and which I don't always do, like I said. And it sort of echoed what this the story that the the author was talking about and I was like I was like oh man I'm singing a horrific song like this is and uh, it's and it's a beautiful melody and I was like geez this talks about terrible stuff and it, anyway so that was a that was a, a really moving moment for me and I, I didn't I wasn't trying to like you know have an emotion it was just like oh it got me you know it got the better it might tricked me so that that was a uh, that's something I'll always remember Oh my god music has so much power <laughs> it's <Yeah>. insane <laughs> yeah um i was gonna say my second question was uh were there any songs that you know you used to really connect with or had you know they made you feel stuff but then after like looking at a from a professional point of view or maybe you prefer started performing it and performed too many times and it doesn't hold that power anymore mm. i think the um, the phenomenon you're talking about has happened to me for all music most music a little bit like i think all all of music is a little bit demystified to me and it doesn't because you know i'm doing i'm often doing you know so a harmonic analysis or formal analysis of the piece I'm listening to. So I'm not really, I'm not always feeling it, but I think every, you know, as I said, I think I feel all music a little bit less, you know, with notable exceptions. There's one song I, I still really like called uh, La Jardinera. It's a Chilean song by Violeta Pera. And, uh, and it's, it's that, that song, especially her, her performance of it, it still really moves me a lot. Yeah, it hasn't. And because of what I was talking about, generally, as the musicians that I would know and, and work with, we actually don't listen to music a lot. Uh, and if we do, it's because we are, you know, doing it. Or in my case, anyway, it's, it's because I'm I'm doing some sort of analysis or I need to listen to it for research or something. But if we're having a conversation and, and someone puts music on in the background, well, that's that's no good, you know, like because everyone now everyone's brain is divided and we're like you can't concentrate on what everyone's saying because you're listening to the song you know it's like music is not background music for 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 us you know um and it, it eventually gets annoying like what why is why my brain tired what's what's annoying here it's like it's like a buzzing thing or someone like tapping on the shoulder you know it's like stop doing that you know so right now on this tour that i'm on you know we're in the car yesterday we drove yesterday for i don't know seven or eight hours or something and it was dead silence in the car for most of the time. I, I, and we were, we were talking, you know, uh, and at one point the driver and the, the the tour manager for this portion of the tour, she was like, let's put some music on. Okay. And I was like, Oh God. You know? So we, we, we found a CD in the car. There's no signal where we were. So we found a CD in the car and put it on. And I was like, and then I, and it was good. It was jazz, good, good jazz singer. But I liked it, you know, but I, like I, nobody talked for the hour that the CD was on. Right. And then, and then this, finally the CD is okay. Now we can get back to talking. So it's not that I, it's not that I don't like music, but it's just, it's, 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 it's for listening to, it's not background. 
this is so wild to me i can't imagine it like the i understand i definitely understand why and where you're coming from but never would have guessed that in a car with musicians you would either listen to music and not talk or just like not listen to music and talk <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. Both. <laughs> both. no no oh wow yeah hey good to know if i have musician friends <laughs> i'm not putting well, songs yeah ask them maybe, maybe other people are different but i mean i i feel like it also comes with um years of like with the amount of years that you've been doing this professionally too but yeah awesome um well is there anything you would like to mention talk about before we oh, i just want to say thanks for uh thanks for you know dedicating uh, the, this amount of uh of podcast to to me and what I'm doing and to the project oh with Stephen Corleone and uh, thanks for your interest I really appreciate it. Of course, it's it's uh, it was lovely. You're very interesting to uh, not and I I mean that in a good way, not like you're interesting. <laughs> it was really lovely chatting with you and well, Likewise. thank you for you know taking the time yes. from your tour. Yeah. I assume it must be tiring. So I really appreciate you coming on here and talking with me. It's it's my pleasure.